Open your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 2 5. Father, do bless the reading of your word. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for all those at Laodicea and for those who have not yet met me personally. My purpose is, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So I want to build on this morning the things that we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks, you know, we got this word back for the movement for Antioch back at the beginning of the year. And the word is more of Jesus. And so we thought, hey, you know, what a great place to go to the letter, Paul's letter to the Colossians. If you want to get more of Jesus and have a bigger, expanded heart for Jesus, man, this is a great place to go. And so uh, and as it's turned out, because of some of the themes of it, I think it's also a great letter for us to be looking at during the middle of, a, of an election season as well, because it's, it's about Jesus Christ being high and lifted up and Lord. And so from the very beginning of this letter, Paul has been concerned that they would have truth in them, that they would know the word of truth, that they would know the gospel of truth, that they would be focused on the truth. And so he begins this prayer in chapter one and he says, I pray that the that you would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. OK, he wants he wants us to get something. He wants the Colossians, the Laodiceans to get something. He wants us to understand this. And it's a burden that just flows all the way through the letter. Um, at the end of the first week, we talked about how God has saved us. He's brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's he, we should joyfully give thanks to the father because the father's the one that's rescued us from the kingdom of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And that's good, good news. The father has done that through Jesus and the power of the spirit. And this is so good. It's such wonderful good news to joyfully give thanks. And he goes on and he says the son is the image of the invisible God. Okay, and that like is wow. And he not just he doesn't just stay there, which is all it's again, Colossians is a very subversive book because he's writing in the middle of the Roman Empire, 
where the king of the Roman Empire called Caesar Augustus declared himself to be the son of God when his own father, Julius Caesar, dies and a comet flies through the sky and they called Julius from that point divine Caesar. So that would make Augustus the son of a god. So that's what they're, they're up against. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Everything in creation that's been made has been made through Jesus Christ. And so this is a powerful thing that Micah unpacked last week, this powerful truth. And Paul's he's seeing that there is a battle going on for people's minds, for people's allegiances. Are you going to give your allegiance to the Roman Empire, to Caesar? Or are you going to give your allegiance to Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Caesar would say he's head over the household of the Roman Empire. And Paul is saying Jesus Christ is head over the household of the entire world. Wow. OK, so this is this is cutting the legs off of off of this this great truth that that Rome is trying to put forward, that we're in charge of the world. And Paul's saying, no, actually, Jesus Christ is in charge of the world. Where were these people in the Roman Empire going to put their hope? Where were they going to put their trust? Where were they going to put their time, energy, talent, resources? Where were they going to put those things? Where was their faith? Where was their hope? Where was their love going to be? So all of that's at play. Do you think that's relevant today to us? Do you see? We've got a hundred different things when we walk out of this room and maybe even right now competing for our attention, for our imagination, the way we're going to think about stuff, what we're going to dream. You know, and, and our culture so wants to pull us, drag us, just, you know, in any way possible for us to not be occupied thinking about, meditating on, dreaming about the greatness of King Jesus and His, His government being expressed in our midst. And so will anything just, you know, it just, there's so many things pulling at us to anesthetize us, to make us drowsy. And I, I especially like the imagination thing, robbing us uh, of our ability to think creatively about the things of God. This is my favorite uh, commentary ever. It's called Colossians Remixed, Subverting the Empire. Pretty provocative title there, right? I know I've shared a little bit. I mean, that's some of what's going on in the letter. But this, these two guys, Brian Walsh and Sylvia Kiesmont, actually not two guys, but it was figure speech, but <clears throat> um, two people. And uh, they're actually married. They're both famous scholars. Before they got married, so she kept her name. But uh, one of the things they did before they wrote this commentary was they tried to live it out for 10 years before writing it. And there is an appropriate kind of weight that goes with it, you know, when I read it. And one of the things that I like about this commentary is that they added these things called targums. Now, targum is uh, what the rabbis would do in the first century. They would take a passage of text and they would write it kind of in contemporary vernacular. They would write it where it was updated and where it made sense in the, the language of the day. And that's kind of what a sermon tries to do, kind of make it you know, current or whatever. But I'm going to read one of these, uh, a piece. It's got a piece from some stuff that Micah did last week, but I, it, it'll help us work our way into the passage that I'm looking at this morning. So let's, let's look at this. 
This is uh, a targum that they wrote for Colossians 1:15 to 20. I'm not going through the whole thing, but I'm going to go through a little bit of it. In an image-saturated world. Okay, would you say our world is image-saturated? Anybody know that, that symbol? Billions and trillions of, of zillions served. What a thought. You know, all the arteries, and that's a t- I'll keep going. In an image-saturated world, a world of ubiquitous corporate logos permeating your consciousness, a world of dehydrated and captive imaginations, a world in which we are too numbed, satiated, and co-opted to be able to dream of life otherwise. Wow. A world in which the empire of global economic affluence has achieved the monopoly of our imaginations. In this world, Christ is the image of the invisible God. In this world, driven by images with a vengeance, Christ is the image par excellence. The image that is above all other images. The image that is not a facade. The image that is not trying to sell you anything. The image that refuses to co-opt you. And can I just say, isn't that awesome about God? That He doesn't force you. He, he, he loves you enough to let you choose. He doesn't co-opt you. Powerful. That's spiritual authority. That's the way God uses His authority. I love that. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the image of God of flesh and blood here and now in time and history with joys and sorrows, the image of God who is the image of God of flesh and blood here and now in time and history with joys and sorrows, image of who we are called to be, image bearers of this God. He is the source of a liberated imagination, a subversion of the empire, Because it all starts with Him and it all ends with Him. Everything, all things, whether you can imagine, whatever you can imagine, visible and invisible, mountains and atoms, outer space, urban space, and cyberspace, whether it is the Pentagon, Disneyland, Microsoft, or AT&T, whether it is the institutionalized power structures of the state, the academy, or the market, All things have been created in Him and through Him. He is their source, their purpose, their goal. Even in their rebellion, even in their idolatry, He is the sovereign one. Their power and authority is derived at best, parasitic at worst, in the face of, of the empire, in the face of presumptuous claims to sovereignty. In the face of the imperial and idolatrous forces in our lives, Christ is before all things. He is sovereign in life, not the pimped dreams of the global market, not the idolatrous forces of nationalism, not the insatiable desires of a consumerist culture. Wow. In the face of a disconnected world where home is a domain in cyberspace. I was getting all excited about it a minute ago. Right? Where neighborhood is a chat room, where public space is a shopping mall, where information technology promises a tuned in 
reconnected world, all things hold together in Christ. The creation is a deeply personal cosmos, all cohering and interconnected in Jesus. It goes on. There's more to say, but I mean, do you see how that kind of updates this a bit? This is what we're talking about. This is how relevant this is in our lives. And the context of this passage that we're moving into now is Paul describing his own ministry. He's saying, look, I'm I'm suffering. I've gone through hard times. I'm in prison right now. And part of this is is putting on display what people need to see in order to get to Jesus. It's not like Jesus sufferings were lacking on the cross. But there is a there's a measure of us, all of us, as we follow the Lord, there's hard things we go through. And when we do those things in the name of Jesus, it points to him and helps other people see the good news. And that's what the world needs. The world needs to see the good news as it really is in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So Paul's been given this commission to present the word of God in its fullness Anybody know what the answer there to that is? What's the word of God in its fullness? Yes. You guys are awesome theologians. I love it. Yes. Okay, so, but when we say this, the word of God in its fullness, and you're going to see this as we go through Colossians, but it's not just, you know, we say we preach Christ and him crucified, but when we're saying that, we're saying the whole package. Okay, we're not just saying Jesus died on the cross so you could have your sins forgiven, go to heaven one day and feel less guilty. We're saying we're saying the whole thing. So this is a blow away that Jesus Christ, son of God, divine from all eternity, face to face in relationship with the father in the spirit from all eternity becomes a man. Wow. Wow. That's a blow away. Okay, so the way how big he's preached, you know, he's the image of the invisible God. Everything comes in to and through by his command. And that God becomes man. And that is just like, wow. So what happens is Jesus Christ then becomes the ground where God and humanity and creation are all brought together in relationship. Not separated, but brought together in relationship. That's huge. So the incarnation is... so, And then he lives his life. So his life is a life of constant dependency on God. Speaking what the Father's saying. Living what the Father's... You know, doing what the Father's doing. And then he comes to the cross. And he dies the death that is on behalf of all of us. So, but think about it. He unites himself as God to humanity. And then he dies a death on the cross. And Paul unpacks this and says, when he died, we died. When he was raised, we were raised. When he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, we've been ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he's coming again in glory. So he's raised the resurrection the ascension, I'm running out of room, the, uh, the, uh, he's coming again. So when we say Jesus, when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying all of this. Paul's going to touch on all of this in this one letter. And this is the gospel that we believe. And if you, if you miss out on you know, the incarnation, you miss out on, wow, 
we've been included in the life of God in Jesus Christ. You know, and when we see this, we see that he's son of God and we go, wow, this is a revelation of the triune relational God of love. Oh my goodness. The implications of this are mind-boggling. It means that God from all eternity has always been a God of love, a God of relationship. It's not something he just came up with like, okay, I got some people down there now. I need to start learning to love. No, he's always been this God of love from all eternity. The Father loves the Son in the Spirit. So whenever you, yeah, I could just go on. I need to keep moving. Help me, Lord. So this is so important. Jesus Christ is the focal point of God's self-revealing of himself to the world. And I'm going to say more about this as we unpack this passage here in just a few minutes. So the main thing is this. Paul's burden is that we would see what's really important, the glorious riches of life in Christ. What's really important. Okay, Lord, help us to see this. The first one, what's really important, what's really important is that the mystery of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. I'm going to work this kind of backwards, these references. There's three references to mystery in, the new te- in uh, this one passage that we just read, to mystery. And mystery is something that was hidden, but has now been revealed. It was hidden, people didn't understand it, but it's now revealed, okay? So, chapter 2, verse 2, my purpose is they'd be un- encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, and then back in verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that that word is ethnos, means nations, all the different ethnic groups, among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in verse 26, the mystery that is, this is what I'm trying to do, he's saying, is to present the mystery, the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, to the Lord's people. Okay, so this thing, we need to unpack this just a minute. So a mystery is something that was hidden, but is now revealed and in chapter 2 verse 3 this revelation this mystery that was hidden it's about God and it's now revealed in where whom Jesus Christ so you got to think about this when when you look at the Old Testament or when you look at the Bible you've got to remember we have to remember that Jesus Christ is the key that unlocks proper seeing the way that we get this the way that we understand this Like you can read the Old Testament without Jesus in mind and get some crazy ideas about God. Jesus is the key that unlocks what God is really like. Okay, so we we through the lens of Jesus learn to read the Bible. We through the lens of Jesus learn to understand what God is really like, not just our own ideas. I think he's just this big you know, dark blob up in the omni sky somewhere and I'm going to say these things about him. No, we look at God through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is very 
very clear. He's the image of the invisible God, the radiance of his glory. No one's ever seen the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. To see me is to see the Father. Okay, so he, he's very, very clear. This one, the word in the beginning, in beginning, in a beginning, it didn't really have a beginning. In the beginning, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst. He was God with God face to face in the beginning. Father, Son, in their love, in the Spirit. This is Jesus. Jesus, this Jesus who's been with God, you know, in his bosom, the bosom of the Father from all eternity, is the one who's made him known. So you can't, you can't, you can't sidestep Jesus to know what God's like. You can't say God's like this without looking at God through the lens of Jesus. Is this being, so it's really important it's, it's just absolutely critical. I mean, people that studied the Bible 12 hours a day looked Jesus right in the face, the incarnate Son of God, and called Him the devil. You have to look at God through the lens of Jesus Christ. So this is, this is huge. So He's the mystery of God revealed. But Paul goes on in that second passage that we read there from verse 27, and there is a revealing of Jesus that goes on in, through, and in the midst of God's people. So he says, this mystery, it's, it's been to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the nations, the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Okay, so this passage is huge. It's huge for us. It, 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 it actually is a parallel passage with Ephesians chapter 3. Paul's unpacking some of the same stuff for the Ephesians, and he goes, people did not used to get this. People did not used to understand this, but I want you guys to get it. It's been revealed to apostles like me. It's this incredible stewardship that I've been given, and that is that we used to think of ourselves as Jews as separated from the rest of the world, but God has done this unbelievable miracle. It's the mystery that he's revealing that is Jews and Gentiles together in one body in Christ praise God. And so I'm all about preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, he goes on to say, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, but is now disclosed to the saints, the eternal purpose of God that he's revealing in Jesus Christ. I'm not just making that up. That's Ephesians. So that, like, that, that same thing's happening here. And he goes, I want you guys to see this, that Christ is, in you is the hope of glory. He's done that. You didn't do it. Oh man, that's good news. The hope of everything being made right in the world is something God does. Something God does. We get to participate with Him, but He's done it by bringing humanity together with Him in Jesus Christ. So Christ in you really is the hope of glory. That's, that's a promise for me. Christ in you. Jamie, Christ in you, Ben, but it's a plural you. So it's, it's always been the people. It was always the people. It was always about all of us because God's a community God. And he wants us to be one with all of our unique differences and distinctions. No, don't do that. And, uh, and uh, she always gets me on that one. I don't know what I, I'm just continuing. So stop doing it. Yeah, thank you. Ah! And so with all of our distinction, you know, he's, he's making us one. So Christ in 
yous. Christ in y'all. Christ in, give me some other plurals. You guys going north on us. Christ in you guys. That's, that's it. And it's, it's together. It was always intended to be a together thing. And this, you know, talk about subverting our culture. This is, we do, in the West, you know, we're just learning. We're, we're just trying to learn because everything ingrains us to individuality, like hyper on the individual side. It doesn't mean that we lose ourselves. We don't lose ourselves in our oneness. But we do have a oneness. Every tribe and language and nation and tongue is around the throne. Distinction, but with unity. Beautiful aspect of the triune God on display there for us. So Paul has this, this burden for us to see this. Oh man, Lord, reveal it to us. The word there for his commission is, you know, I quoted some of that passage from Ephesians 3, the same words in both passages. It's oikonomia. So his commission is oikonomia. His administration in Ephesians 3 is oikonomia. It's where we get the English word economy. Can you hear it? Oikonomia. Economy. And it has to do with the household distribution of goods and services within the household. So Jesus is head over all things. He's given Paul this commission to be distributing the riches of Christ. And we all have a piece in this economy. That's who we are as the church. And every person gets to get in on this. Nobody's left out. Mark, you're not left out. You're in on this thing. There's a, there's a piece of his economy getting worked out through Christ's fellowship. He brought us to Fort Worth to be missionaries to this city that we would participate in God's economy to release Christ and his riches to Fort Worth, to this region, to this state, to this nation, and to the nations of the earth. Starting to almost preach. Okay, so, uh, Lord, help me. That, there's, I, they, they were praying for me in that room. And I said, that, what, what, do you mean, what, what do you want us to pray for? I said, pray that this thing that's inside of me would get out. This burden would get out. It's Paul's burden. You know, and the result of this, and this blew me away. Yancey brought this point out. And uh, we did the training school, the discipleship school the other night together. And one of the points he taught is that when we see the triune God of love, all over the place, you're going to see faith, hope, and love. That's what he wants to get in us. Faith, hope, and love. And so in the first passage in Colossians, it's got faith, hope, and love in that first sermon. I didn't even see it till, till now. Micah's passage from last week, faith, hope, and love. It's all in that one passage. This passage this week, faith, hope, and love, it's all in this one passage. Over and over and over again. So that your faith would be strong in Christ. That you would be uh, see the hope of the glory of God. That you would be united in love in order that you could really see. So all of that's happening. And, and what really encourages me is when I start realizing sometimes it seems like my faith, but the faith that's really powerful is not my faith, but it's the faith of Jesus. It's His faithfulness. And His faith in His faithfulness. It's receiving His love. When we receive God's love, we are able to give God's love way better than doing it out of our own resources. And same, same with hope. You know, you know, the hope in heaven that's stored up for you, it's like God wants to release faith, hope, and love through us. Next point. Second thing. 
what he really wants us to see, what's really important, the mystery of God revealed in Jesus Christ, the second piece, and I'm just almost done, is that the, as I've been saying this already, is the message of God is focused in Jesus and on Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 28, so we proclaim him, we proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know, and he goes on, he says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Again, it's this word of truth, complete understanding, spiritual wisdom and understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the message of God is focused in the person of Jesus Christ. We proclaim him. And the word there for admonishing and teaching everyone so that they'll be presented perfect in Christ, the, the word is teleos, which has to do with maturity or the end, that, that, we would, that we would get to the end of what we're supposed to be in Christ. That's what this is all about. That's why, you know, we're going on 24 years. And, you know, a lot of sermons, I may start out a sermon and talk about, hey, this is, I know you're going through this in life. I go through this too. Da, 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 you know, whatever the felt need might be. We talked about marriage a couple weeks ago. But I want you to know that 100% of the sermons that I preach, I am trying to get us to Jesus Christ. Like literally every single sermon. Like even about marriage or patience or... Yes. I mean, what, what we need isn't more patience. We need more of Jesus. We need more of His life. You know, what we need isn't more, uh, you know, so let me say it positively. When I'm going through a relational thing, I'm going through a struggle and it's a hard thing and I need to forgive someone or love someone, then I want to forgive as God has forgiven me in Christ. We need to re-up on this so that we can see what love is supposed to look like flowing through us. What forgiveness is supposed to look like flowing through us. What is peace? Got any anxious people? Four. Five. Okay, so it happens to the best of us. It happened to me several times this past week. I need the peace of God. I need the peace that I can only find in Jesus Christ. And so it's not give me more peace exactly. It's, it's baptize me. In your non-anxious presence. Let there be less of me, Lord, and more of you. That's what, that's what this baptism thing's all about. Like pushes all the me out and Lord, fill me up. Baptize me in your love, your peace, your life. You know? And did it happen five years ago for you? For me, I fill me up, Lord, every day. Fill me up over and over again. I <laughs> I, I must have a little hole in the bottom of my foot somewhere because I get filled up and there's just a little, there's a little leaking that happens. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I'm trying to land this on the practical side of things. So what? Like I've been getting veins. He's been standing up just going, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. You know, but it, it is practical. It is practical because... We want to be people that whatever's going on, we order life, we calibrate life to Jesus, to the one who came, who lived, who died, 
who was raised again, who was ascended to the right hand of the Father, who is coming again. You know, when you look at Colossians and you see how the flow of this letter goes, it all ends up with stuff about, hey, live this out in your house. Hey, Christ is your life. Okay, so put stuff to death that doesn't need to be in your life anymore. Say goodbye to that. Get your mind renewed in the, in the life of the Creator. Forgive. Let peace be the umpire in your heart. Do this. Don't do this. Got to go back and repent. You know. That's, what, that's, that's how practical it is. You know, and I would even say, guys, just and we're finishing right now, but, but uh, evangelical repentance isn't us repenting in order to one day maybe we'll get there. It's God's done it for us in Jesus, and we want to live a life of turning, of repentance, of turning to Him morning by morning, day by day. A, a people that together are helping each other do this. We're a mess. So you can say it softly. Yeah, I know you don't have to, you won't say it that loud, but we're a mess. Yes, he's right. It's the truth, and we need him and his life. Christ in you is the hope of all of this happening. This is like, you know, walk off. It's like, he's doing it, and it's going to be awesome. It's the best news in the world, and it affects. All of our thinking, our lives, studying as students, living life, doing work, family, kids, you pick it. It is, He is our very life. And when He appears, you're going to appear with Him in glory. Y'all stand up. Let's respond to God. Let's respond to Jesus. Worship team, come. Ministry team, come. Oh Lord, would You just mold us and shape us? Would You help us? Would you make us? Would you recreate? Soften these hearts. Meet us today, Lord. We need you so much. Soften our hearts, Lord. Renew our minds. Give us grace, Lord, to say yes to you. I want my heart to be affected. I want my thinking to be affected. I want my life to be affected. Lord, you've given us this word. We think it's a word from you. More of Jesus in 2016. So, Lord, would you give us grace to pray, to pray big, to, to receive ministry right now? Jesus is the answer for every worry. He's the answer for every relational issue that you're going through right now. Everything that's going on in work, he's got wisdom and understanding that he wants. He's the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. You need wisdom for that situation. You need Jesus. So whatever's going on, just want to encourage you to get prayer today. He's the God who hears. He's the God who answers. And He's the God who meets us in the midst of our need. And let's press in. Like really, be hungry. Press in. Say yes. He's done it all. Lord, meet us. Meet, meet the needs of every person here today. In Jesus' name, whether it's financial, heart stuff, relational stuff, we just want to just be immersed in this truth. The Word of God in its fullness. Jesus Christ, come. You guys, get prayer. It's a time to be shaped and changed. It's a time to say yes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord.